Andrea mostly chose the songs this morning, and when I saw what she'd chosen, I thought, well, that's, it's perfect. Really, the sermon's in the song lyrics, but I'll talk to you anyway. <laughs> I called this sermon Awaken to Joy, not because it's morning, although it is 1030, but I do kind of appreciate that double meaning. No, I called it Awaken because... As you know here at Wellsprings, to be awake and aware is essential to really live and to experience joy. Are you feeling awake? Yeah. Lively music, dance, help us wake up, feel alert and aware. Of course, the bright sun can do that, too, once we're out of the dark of our bedrooms. Have you felt joy this morning? I hope so. I have to confess that I often find waking up in the morning to be kind of difficult. Oh, and this morning was no different. I set my alarm a little earlier than I normally need to do in order to get out here, and I believe I pushed the snooze button three times. (laughs) Last week I was at a lakeside cottage in Vermont. It was lovely and not at all hot. I was there with my sister, who she and her husband live in central Vermont, and they live in a place called Maple Corner. And across the street, although you can't quite see it, but across the street is Curtis Pond, which in Pennsylvania would be Curtis Lake. My sister gets up at five o'clock in the morning and goes swimming in Curtis Pond. I thought it was a little cold in the pond at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And in the winter, a Vermont winter, she gets up and walks in the snow and ice at 5 o'clock in the morning. I am filled with admiration. And my sister has, in fact, since she began doing these spiritual practices, become a much more happy and centered person. But I am not a morning person. I'm not. (laughs) But, you know, I love morning after I'm actually awake. And if I have to get up early in the morning and that special perfect light of early morning, you know that light? Some of you have as much trouble in the morning as I do, but I expect you probably still know that light. Mornings can feel really fresh and alive. The author of Psalm 118 in the Hebrew Bible says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us exult and rejoice in it. Now, some of you don't think there's a God that made the day. That's fine, but pay attention. That sacred book is calling us to exult and rejoice this day, to be aware of the beauty of this day, the beauty of the earth, the gift of being alive. I think that's a good idea. But still, the kind of awakening I'm talking about is not at all about our ordinary early morning waking up. No, it's about being alive, 
about being spiritual. Did you know that the Buddha, probably you do here, it means the awakened one? Buddhist scholar Robert Thurman says that Buddhism actually means awakening, and therefore he considered himself to be an evangelist for awakening. As many of you might actually be evangelists for awakening for spiritual practice. I hope you are. Awakening, Thurman said, means understanding Understanding what's going on, being more kindness. We all need more kindness. We all need more hugging. The minute you awaken to the cause of suffering, which is mostly our self-preoccupations and self-misperceptions, you'll begin to have a happier time. And the more you awake to your connection, your interdependence with others, the more free of suffering You will be. Now, you may well be concerned, sad, empathic for others and yourself when something tragic or sad happens. But you are free from that dreadful, long lasting, judgmental, critical suffering we are also prone to do. You know, in the Christian scriptures, It's Mark 13, verses 33 to 37. On the night before his arrest, Jesus advises his disciples this. Beware. Beware. Be aware. Keep alert. For you do not know when the time will come. Therefore, keep awake. And what I say to you, He really wanted to emphasize it is keep awake. And if you know the story, they didn't. The disciples fell asleep. It was the middle of the night and he came back. He's praying. He came back and he asked them again to stay awake and pray with him. And three times he comes back to find them asleep. So one of the messages one could take is not the whole story. But simply this, keep awake, keep awake and pray or keep away and do wake and do your spiritual practice, whatever that practice is. But I have another confession, because all too often I don't stay awake that way either. I treasure the times when I am able to. And I know that practice enlarges that time, makes it more frequent but sometimes i am only paying attention to the to-do list the tasks on one hand or maybe thoughts about tomorrow because sometimes you don't really want to keep thinking about tomorrow you don't want to think about yesterday but you might want to think about today and not give too much of your attention to either the worries or dreams of the future But not long ago, I went out to dinner with my husband, Rick, and because of our busy schedules, and now I'm working in Mount Airy in Philadelphia, serving a congregation there, but our home is 100 miles west in Carlisle, where my husband has had the same job for 25 years and intends to stay there. So I have an apartment in Philadelphia, but so Rick and I don't see each other nearly as much as we would like. And because of that, this particular week, this night we went out to dinner was the only evening that we could really spend together that week. 
It was a worse week than usual, but nevertheless, it was the only evening we could be together. And we only had that time because Rick had rescheduled a meeting that he was supposed to go to. So I was really grateful. I appreciated that we had that time together. I was grateful that he changed the schedule, that he wanted to spend quality time with me. And yet at the restaurant, I got distracted by my then brand new smartphone, trying to figure out how to do something that my daughter said I could do on this Android phone, sitting at the table in the restaurant. I don't even remember what it was I was trying to do. Rick gently called me back, and it was gently. He said, is that really the best way to spend our time together? And of course it wasn't. (laughs) It wasn't. I was like, oh, (laughs) what am I doing? Uh, So it was a good question. And I think it's frequently a good question for us to ask ourselves. Is this really the best way to spend our time together, to spend our time on earth, to spend this day? How do you want to spend this precious day of your life? Unitarian Universalist psychologist and writer Mary Pfeiffer says, We are what we pay attention to, and sadly, most of the time, we are not attending to either the world or ourselves. Psychologists estimate we have 60,000 to 70,000 thoughts a day, 99% of which are more or less what we thought yesterday. (laughs) Our habits run our lives, she says. And... We all underestimate our need for joy. If we are not careful, and I know people in this room know this, if we are not careful, we live as if our schedules are our lives. We cross one thing after another off the list, and at the end of the day, we've completed our chores, if we're lucky. She says we've completed them. I rarely find that I have actually completed the things that I intended. But, Pfeiffer says, we haven't necessarily been present to our own experience, to our own life. So to awaken and to stay awake takes intention. It takes a choice. It takes a decision and attention. We need to affirm that we want to be awake and alive right now. In her, I think it's her most recent book, Real Happiness, The Power of Meditation, Buddhist teacher Sharon Salzberg, great writer, quoted the early psychologist William James. He said, my experience is what I agree to attend to. Only those items I shape, I notice, only those items I notice shape my mind. So we could pay attention to the sun and the green, or we could pay attention to those critical, unhappy, worried thoughts in our head. Salzburg goes on to say that the quality of our lives depends on our level of awareness, a fact we're not often aware of. So we need to pay attention and we need to allow ourselves to be called back, as Rick's question called me back. My favorite spiritual poet is 
Hafiz, a Sufi poet. And there's a particular poem, though I love many of his, called When the Violin. So how it goes. When the violin can forgive the past, it starts singing. When the violin can stop worrying about the future, you will become such a drunk, laughing nuisance that God will lean down and start combing you into his hair. When the violin can forgive every wound caused by others, the heart starts singing. I see some frowning and I sort of agree with the God will lean down and start combing you into the hair. Hafiz has some very interesting images, but but the, the poem, like Rick's question, is this the best way to spend our time, calls us back to the present moment. When the violin can forgive the past, it starts singing. When the violin can stop worrying about the future, when the violin can forgive every wound caused by others, the heart starts singing. This is really being awakened to joy. UU minister Tomo and Toll tells us seeing, and I, I, I don't know, maybe I should have one made. I haven't seen it myself, but I'm seeing a bumper sticker that says, don't postpone joy. And isn't this a great graphic that Carol Klakotka found? Joy. Joy is a spiritual practice closely related to gratitude. Joy is a heart full and mind purified by gratitude, says Marietta Marcardi. We, we can feel and express the delight in being alive, even when we're sick, even when we're grieving, there is still that great gift and gratitude and delight in being alive. There's a story that Nikos Kazantakas wrote in a book called From, a Re- From Report to Greco. Writes about dervishes who are Sufis like Hafiz. Says the dervishes are a religious order. Ask them what their rule is. The oldest of the group, a man with a long, long white beard, answered poverty, to own nothing and be weighted down by nothing, to journey to God along a flowering pathway. Laughter, dance, and joy are the three archangels who take us by the hand and lead us. Laughter, the dance, and joy are the three archangels who take us by the hand and lead us. Ask them how they make themselves ready to appear before God. Is it by fasting? Oh, no, laughed the young dervish. We eat, we drink, and we bless the Lord for giving food and drink to people. Well, then how do you prepare? By dancing, replied the oldest dervish. Dancing? Dancing? Why? And think about this, some of you who, maybe some of you who are uncomfortable still with dancing. Dancing, why? Because dancing kills the ego. And once the ego has been killed, there is no further obstacle to prevent you from joining God. And we could use different language for that. Once we let go of all that, as Thurman says, misconception, misperception in our head, 
There's nothing to prevent you from feeling centered, from feeling awake, from feeling contentment, from feeling the joy that is actually, it is actually, though you wouldn't always know it, taught in all the major religions to be joyful. Regular spiritual practice, whether it's dancing and singing or meditation, devotional reading, drawing, walking, they help us to be present and to experience joy. Have you ever paid attention? Have any of you ever known any Tibetan Buddhist monks, Dalai Lama, maybe, or maybe you've known some? Well, they have very intense spiritual practices, and you know what? They are almost always giggling unless they are sitting in meditation. I had a friend who taught, um, he lives on a farm and he drives a big pickup truck, like not super big, but like a Ford, I don't know, 250 or 350 or something. And um, this monk was staying with him and the monk was planning on being a school bus driver for their, their school in Dharamsala. So my friend Ed said, okay, I'll teach you to drive my truck. I'm not sure Ed was giggling. But the monk, as he drove on the wrong side of the road and drove into the ditch, was having a grand old time and giggled the whole time. And Ed giggled when he told the story later. And in the Christian scriptures, Paul writes that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In the 14th century, Meister Eckhart wrote that to rejoice at another person's joy is like being in heaven. Joy is our original blessing. It is our birthright as humans. It is our heritage. Contemporary writers Daniel Schwartz and Mark Haas have a book called Finding Joy, a practical spiritual guide to happiness. And they say that making life more fulfilling and enjoyable is the basis of any spiritual formula formula for living. You thought about that? Religion is about joy. That's not kind of what we're, we're, it's not what's in the media very much. It's often not what we've been taught. But it is. Again, the Buddhist writer Thurman says the human heart thrives on being happy. We are, in fact, the life form, the form of evolution that is most built for pleasure. Our power and our greatness come from our ability to see the vision of happiness. And did you know that both the Quran and the Talmud teach that in heaven, a question to be asked would be, did you take advantage of every permissible pleasure that life had offered? We will be held accountable for those pleasures and joys that were permissible and that we refused to enjoy. It's kind of a twisted notion in a way, but I kind of like it. It's like, yeah, we really 
need to allow ourselves to experience our lives, to experience happiness, to experience joy. We can, and I feel 99.99999% certain that everyone in the room, there might be someone who hasn't done this, we can refuse happiness and postpone joy. Our work isn't done. I'm a minister. My work is never done. I don't know what that means. Sometimes I don't know whether something I'm doing is work or not. The work isn't done. The world is imperfect. There's always something distressing or tragic in the news. It's a big world. And there is a lot of suffering. And sometimes that suffering is close to us. But we don't have to refuse joy for that. Joy doesn't require that there be no sorrow or that all the work be done. In fact, joy and sorrow often come together. I led a memorial service yesterday, and there was as much laughter as tears. Cahil Gabran says, the deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy that you can contain. Is not the cup that holds your wine the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven? Joy and sorrow are inseparable. Together they come, and when one sits alone with you, remember the other is asleep on your bed. And more contemporary writer Joseph Campbell said, participate joyfully in the sorrows of the world. We cannot cure the world of sorrows, but we can and we can choose to live in joy. We can choose what we pay attention to, what, as James says, shapes our minds and shapes our lives. We can choose to be awake, though we may need reminders from time to time, whether from those close to us or the still small voice within. We can choose to be awake and we can choose joy. Unitarian Universalism affirms the importance of our lives, of our earthly and earthy living. Paying attention to that gift of being alive. Slowing down to play, to celebrate, to love. These bring joy to our lives and create connection with others. Hildegard of Bingen suggests that we be not lax, be not lazy in the festive service of joy. So don't wait. Claim your joy. Choose to be charged full with the charge of the soul. From, also from the Hebrew Bible. Because we hear so many dark things from the Bible. There's this. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and hills before you shall burst into song and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. So look around you when you go home. May you live in blessing. Will you join with me in prayer? And actually this morning... As part of the prayer, I'm going to read part of Psalm 100 in a different translation than you would have heard, most likely. Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth. Worship God with gladness. 
come into her presence with singing and know that she is God. It is she that made us and we are hers. We are people and the sheep of her pasture enter her gates with thanksgiving and her courts with praise. Give thanks to her. Bless her name for God is good. Her steadfast love endures forever and her faithfulness to all generations. So gracious God of no gender, every gender, spirit of love, however we find you, guide us to be awake, to know that we are loved, to know that however we name it, there is unending love all around us, all the time. Help us to free ourselves from those constricting thoughts and fears so that we may be the fully gifted, charged full of the soul people that we are intended to be. And so we may have that charge to help those who are suffering beside us. This is my prayer for us this morning. Amen. Ashe. Blessed be.